Good morning. One last announcement. Uh, just when we thought that uh, we'd be in this room for a while, the hotel has announced that they'd be putting us back on the Fenway a couple times. Uh, we will be uh, next week over in the Fenway room just across the way here, just uh, on the other side of the, the restaurant um, outside. So remember that next Sunday in the Fenway. Okay, why don't you rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in Matthew 27. Matthew 27. Matthew 27, verse 51. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised, and coming out of the graves after His resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So when the centurion and those with him were, who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly this was the Son of God. And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee ministering to him uh, were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and Mary the mother of, uh, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Now when evening had come, there came a rich man with Ar- from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock And he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the tomb. Let's pray. Father, again, we come here this morning, Lord, to be refreshed, Lord, in a world just so full of distractions, Lord, a world uh, so filled with uh, things that would pull you or pull us away from you, Lord God. And, and Father, I, I just pray this morning, uh, we need the help, Lord, the help of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Your word calls him our helper, our comforter, Lord. We need the help to just open up our hearts and minds to you. Pray that you would do that through your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. Going through the book of Matthew, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And so, last week we ended in verse 50. uh, And with just a few simple words, uh, the description uh, of the last few moments of Jesus' life. Verse 50, and Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And you know, if you put the uh, uh, four gospel accounts together and you read them together, uh, his, just his last uh, few moments, it, it happened like this. 
the first thing, uh, right before he died, he cried out in a loud voice. From the uh, Gospel of John, we know uh, what those words were. Uh, the words, it is finished, or uh, it can also be translated, it is complete, or it has been accomplished, or uh, it has been paid for, paid in full. The original Greek term uh, is the word tetelestai which was a commercial term that was used to sort of stamp on a bill of goods once it had been fully paid for. And, and, and so those were the last words of Jesus' life, paid in full. What does that mean for you and me? Each time that you and I commit a sin, each time that we uh, do something that is against the law of God, we incur a debt which we owe God. God being holy, God being just, requires payment for that debt. And if he didn't, he, he wouldn't be uh, holy and just. If he wasn't holy and just, he wouldn't be uh, God. And, and, and so the cost that must be paid for the debt is death. And separation from God for eternity, the Bible says. So we have a choice. Here's what it, it, all this means to us. We have a choice. Either we pay the debt ourselves or we allow the debt to be paid for us by Jesus Christ, who again, right before he died, he cried out, it says in verse 51, with a loud voice, what he cried out was, paid in full. It is finished. Paid in full. And so after he cried out with a loud voice, uh, we'll continue on. After he cries out with a loud voice, it is finished. Uh, we know from the book of Luke, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then as verse 50 uh, uh, says in, in Matthew 27, it says that he yielded up his spirit. The book of Luke says he gave up his, his spirit. And then just continuing on, it says, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. There can hardly be a more important verse in the Bible. Again, it says in verse 51, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Hardly a more important verse in the entire uh, Bible. Why would I say that? Well, let's talk about that uh, for a minute. What was this veil? The veil was a very thick curtain. It was, uh, according to Exodus, made out of uh, blue thread and uh, purple thread and scarlet uh, uh, thread, and it was uh, mixed in with uh, fine linen. And uh, uh, let me read from Exodus 26, verse 33. It talks about this veil. God is instructing Moses here uh, when building the tabernacle, and he says, uh, you shall hang the veil from the clasps, then you shall bring the ark of the testimony in behind the veil. The veil shall be a divider for you between the holy place and the most holy. So remember the ark of the covenant was where the present, uh, presence of God was uh, in the tabernacle of the temple. It rested in a place called the holy of holies. And there was a barrier, a division, a veil made out of blue, purple, and scarlet thread which separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple. Really, a better way of putting it is it separated the Holy of Holies from everything and 
everyone else in the world. There was a separation between the presence of God and everyone else in the world. Now, this is something I've said over and over again on Sunday evenings uh, as we've gone through the Old Testament, uh, that prior to Jesus Christ, man didn't have access into the presence of God. He didn't have access into the presence of God. There was no arrangement for a man or woman uh, to be ushered into the presence of God. Uh, Man had no opportunity to be there. God is holy, man had sinned, and and this had resulted in a wall of separation, a division, a veil. And listen, that veil was put up because of God's mercy. God's mercy, lest the holiness, lest His holiness consume man. God is holy, He cannot have sin in His presence, and He's a consuming fire, and, and, and without that veil, man would have been consumed. And there was only uh, one man actually at the time in the Old Testament who could go into the Holy of Holies. And it was the high priest. And only after many, many baptisms, many animal sacrifices, and, and all kinds of ritual representing the, just the need to, 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 to be pure. And, and after those things, God imputed to him a righteousness, really the righteousness of Christ. And he went in, but then only once a year. One man. There was no plan for uh, anyone else. And a- as we saw in the book of Numbers uh, in the Old Testament, there was about uh, 250 uh, men who, you know, they were seeing Moses leading the people and Aaron the high priest. And, and they were like, who is this Moses? Who is this high priest Aaron? And it actually says there uh, in-, in Numbers, it says everyone in the congregation is holy. And what they did, they, they-, they took censers. The censers were kind of like, you know, these, these candlesticks still used in some, uh, some churches with, with in, kind of like with, with incense, these metal things or brass with a, a place to, to burn uh, incense on the end. And that was uh, something that was uh, burned, incense was burned in the Holy of Holies uh, continuously before God. And these 250 men, they took uh, this incense and they said, you know, again, who are you, Aaron, to think you're the only one in there? And they went before the presence of God and what happened? They were consumed by fire, completely consumed by the fire of God. Wow. Wow. And, and, and you know, we saw others, other things like that at any time, sort of a, a man or a woman to try to get into the presence of the Lord. And, and, and what did we learn from all that? Well, uh, we, lo- we got a glimpse of the price that Jesus Christ paid. On the cross, we just got a little glimpse of that. Of, uh, 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 we got a glimpse into the judgment that he took upon himself on the cross when all our sin was gathered uh, to him. The price he paid. And, and what happened as a result? Uh, verse 51 happened. That's what happened when Jesus Christ took on the judgment. It says, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two. The veil of the temple was torn, torn in two. In other words, the wall of separation, gone. The division, gone. The veil, gone. Uh, Jesus accomplished for you and I what we couldn't have done in a thousand lifetimes of good works. And he, he did it on the cross. 
He removed the veil and purchased full access for us into the presence of God. And Hebrews uh, chapter 10, verse 19 says uh, it like this, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holy of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for you through the veil that is his flesh, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with uh, pure water. And, and I love Hebrews chapter 12, uh, where the writer is contrasting to the life, uh, uh, to, to the Jews, the Hebrews, he's contrasting the life of the nation of Israel prior to Christ with the life th- uh, that they could have after Christ. And so he first he begins uh, 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 describing um, the life that they had prior to Christ and telling them, they no longer had that anymore. It says in chapter 12, he says, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire. You have not come to darkness, gloom, and storm, uh, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word uh, be spoken to them. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, uh, I am trembling with, with fear. What's that all about? That was Mount Sinai where Moses was getting the law, and, 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 God, and there was lightning, and there was darkness, and there was gloom, and, and there was also the voice of God. And after a while, the people said, I can't take it anymore. Stop. We don't want to hear the voice of, uh, uh, of God. They were overwhelmed by the holiness of God, and that's when he was far, far off uh, on top of the mountain. And, and, and so the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 is saying, you're no longer living in that world, and he says, you have not come to that mountain, but rather you have come to Mount Zion to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. So now remember the verse we are in, Matthew 27 Uh, Verse 51 says, Behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. We can now go right into the presence of God without any fear whatsoever to enjoy Him, to cry out to Him, to open our hearts out up to Him, uh, to worship Him, uh, uh, to receive grace and mercy in our time of need. But listen, here's the question for you. Here's the question for you. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Are you going to wait outside? Are you going to wait outside the the veil, the wall? You know, I remember as a a brand new spanking baby Christian, I got a hold of this book, well-worn book, Abide in Christ. And it had just such a powerful impact on my life and and uh, among many other reasons, uh, I actually discovered for the first time that as a born-again believer in Jesus, I could actually go right into the presence of God to be with Him. I didn't need a priest. I didn't need an intercessor. I didn't need to sort of, uh, from afar, wonder who He was. I could go uh, right in. And let me read just a few sentences of what I read. Andrew Murray asked the, the, the question to the reader, and, and I'm going to paraphrase here. He says, You do well to come to Jesus, but you would do better 
to abide with Jesus or to dwell with Jesus. Who, after seeking the king's palace, would be content to stand in the door when he is invited in to dwell in the king's presence and to share with him in all the glory of his royal life. Oh, let us enter in and abide and enjoy to the full all the rich supply his wondrous love has prepared for us. I love that. And ah, what a deliverance it was for me uh, to discover that God wanted me. He was inviting me through the veil, right through. He wanted me. He loved me that much. He wanted me in his prayer, in his, um, in his presence. And, 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 you know, brothers and sisters, Jesus didn't go through the agony of the cross for you to be waiting outside. He, he didn't uh, uh, pay that incredible price for the veil to be torn down only for you to stay outside the wall, wondering uh, or fearing or dreaming about what it must be like inside. Jesus uh, suffered and died that you would go right in with confidence and joy, with no fear or, or hesitation. And there, there's a great illustration, actually, of this in the, in the Old Testament. Samaria in northern Israel was being besieged by Ben-Hadad, the Syrian. And it went on for so long there was a great famine in the city. And chapter 6 of Second Kings says that the famine was so great, food was so scarce at that time, that a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and a, a pint of dove droppings was sold for five shekels of silver. However, outside the city where they were being besieged, there was the camp of these Syrians. And inside those camps, there was an abundance beyond the imagination of the people who were living in Samaria. There was gold, there was silver, there was clothing, and there was just an abundance of food there, of, of all manner of, of, uh, of, of food that they, they could just be feasting on and that the Syrians were feasting on. The problem, of course, uh, for the Israelites living in Samaria was there was a veil, there was a wall of separation uh, between them and all that abundance. What was it? It was the Syrian army. Well, to make a long story short, the king of Israel, who was a very wicked man, uh, got fed up with what was going on. Uh, he was hearing things from his, his uh, balcony, like you know, women uh, bargaining for each other's babies for food, uh, that, for, that they would be eating their own babies and this type of thing. And, and he goes to Elisha and he says, and, and Elisha said to him, he says, Thus said the Lord, tomorrow about this time a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley. Uh, for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. And, and there was an uh, officer of the king there, and he said, even, uh, even if the heavens opened up, how could that ever happen? Well, that night, God caused the Syrian army to hear the noise of a mighty army. And every single one a person in the army, everyone in the camp just fled immediately. They dropped everything, and they fled, leaving everything behind. And there was four... Uh, lepers who were living outside the gates of Samaria. 
they were sort of just living on what, what had been thrown over the wall for them, but no one was throwing anything over the wall for them. So they said, well, lest we die, let's go, just go, go to the Assyrian camp. The worst that could happen to us is that we'll get killed. And so they went to the Syrian camp, and, and, and lo and behold, the wall there, the Assyrian army that separated Samaria, Israel, from the abundance, it was gone. The army was gone. And of course, they, 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 uh, they no doubt would have come up to it with much hesitation. And, and wondering, you know, what's going on? How could this wall uh, possibly be gone, this division? How could it be gone? Well, God took it away. That's what happened. And what happened? They went into the camp and they're like, this is incredible. And they just feasted off this abundance. And then after a while, they said, you know, we're not really doing well. We need to go back and tell Samaria. And, and they went back and told and them. And then all of a sudden, the famine uh, was abated because they went and they feasted um, on that abundance. And here's the question again for you. Are you going to stand outside the camp? If you have asked Jesus in your life, if you've committed your life to him, the veil's been torn away it's been taken away. You now have the opportunity to go right into the presence of God. What are you going to do about it? In Christ, you have a choice. You can stay outside. Where Listen, and I hate to sound irreverent, but about the best that the world can offer is a donkey's head and does poop. I mean, that's about the best that the world can do. And, and, and if you don't believe me, just stay outside the, the, the wall of separation and, and, and you just try it. I've been there and I'm no longer interested in dove's poop. We're donkey's heads. And, and so, so you have a, a, a choice for that or, or you can go inside where there is abundance with God, righteousness, joy, and, uh, and, and peace in, in the Holy uh, and joy in the Holy uh, Spirit. So the veil of the temple, torn in two, hardly can be a more important verse uh, in the Bible. But you know, before we move on off this verse, uh, I, I do want to leave you with this. It was not only the barrier of the Holy of Holies that was destroyed at, that day. There were many barriers in the temple, in the Jewish temple. Uh, in fact, the, the temple was filled with barriers. Uh, there was a barrier between the Holy of Holies and, and of the rest of the world. We've already talked about that. And so it was basically a barrier between the high priest and everyone else. Uh, there was a barrier between uh, the priesthood themselves. There were actually many priests other than the high priest. And all the lay people, all the other Jewish people, there was a barrier there. It was called the holy place. Only a priest could go into the holy place. Then there was a barrier between all the non-Jews, the Gentiles, uh, and, and all the Jews. Uh, the Gentiles uh, actually had their place in the temple, the court of the Gentiles. You could go in there. Just don't try going beyond it, or just a riot would be sparked. And so there was that barrier. And there was a barrier between men and women. And up, up to this day in synagogues, you'll see this in Orthodox synagogues. Men were in one place, women were in another place. Couldn't mingle. And, and, and so, you know, when Jesus died and the veil was torn in two, the division all these divisions were torn down. The division between priesthood and man was eliminated. No longer do you need a priest to represent you before God. Uh, the division between Jew and Gentile, uh, contrary to what uh, some Messianic congregations uh, teach today, uh, the Bible's clear. That division was eliminated. The division between man and woman, 
eliminated. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, the Apostle Paul declares, for, all, uh, for you all are sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. All the barriers and divisions in temple worship eliminated when Jesus on the cross cried out, paid in full, and then he breathed his last. Wow. So how's that for a half a verse? We're doing real well this morning. Uh, Let's get into the uh, last half of the verse. Uh, Again, verse 51, Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Hmm. Now, this is not one of those verses that pastors usually, you know, when they're thinking about, hey, what shall I preach on Sunday? Well, how about that verse about, you know, the graves splitting open and, and dead bodies coming up and appearing to people? Uh, not, not usually uh, uh, something that a pastor chooses uh, to uh, focus on. In fact, many ignore these passages or pretend like they're not there. Unfortunately, at Calvary Chapel, we go through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We can't ignore them. Keeps us honest. Uh, what a shame if we did, because there's a very important message here. It is this. The Lord wanted to make sure there was no one who witnessed the crucifixion, who witnessed these things. There was not a person there who walked away without an undeniable, unmistakable supernatural sign that something unprecedented in history had just happened. The Lord wanted to make sure that the people witnessing this event were so profoundly affected by what they saw that they would be compelled to say, wow, truly, this was the Son of God. And so that's exactly, of course, what happened. It says uh, there in verse... Um, 54, it says, So when the centurion and those with them uh, who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. And so, um, again, uh, there's this incredibly, first there's this incredibly powerful earthquake there. And it says that the rocks were split open and... and, uh, and so there was an earthquake so powerful that these enormous rocks, as some of you who are familiar with Israel have seen these things, and these things were all split. And then it says, uh, and then it says after the resurrection. That's an important little point. It says after the resurrection. Uh, so this is a few days later. It's jumping a few days ahead. It says after the resurrection, many of the bodies of the saints or the holy people who had died were raised and appeared to many. Uh, it's important that it was after resurrection. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus was the first fruits uh, uh, of those who resurrected. So, uh, but anyway, what's going on here? Why, why is this happening? Again, yes, it was an extraordinary sign, an extraordinary, uh, that following an extraordinary event that, that the crucif- of the crucifixion of Christ, uh, but also it, it was this, and this is important. It was a foretaste. It was... Um, it was a first fruits. It was a pledge by God, if you will, of the future resurrection when all believers will be raised with new bodies. And we talked a lot about this in Matthew 24, uh, that uh, 
uh, a foretaste uh, of the future resurrection that, that is going to uh, uh, take place. Now, this shouldn't be unusual to any of you familiar with the Old Testament, which is filled with this type of thing, this foretaste, these foreshadowings. I mean, the, the, the temple itself is a foreshadowing um, of heaven, of what heaven is like. The life of David, a foreshadowing of, of Christ. Uh, J- uh, Joshua and the Israelites taking the promised land, a foreshadowing of the believer's uh, life in Christ. And so uh, what they had here, uh, seeing this, this, it actually was a kind of a resurrection. It was a, a foreshadowing of what was to come. And so the centurion, the Roman commander and his men, they're witnessing all this. There's the darkness that fell in the land. There's the earthquakes. There's the rocks splitting. There's graves opening up. And, and, and he and his men, they look at this and say, no wonder. They say, truly, this was the Son of God. So, by the way, there, there's no reason to be, uh, but to believe that the men declaring these things were the very men who crucified him, who before crucified him, before crucified him, twisted a crown of thorns and, and, and bowed down and mocked him, uh, the same men who had scourged him and, and crucified him. Uh, remember what Jesus said on the cross, though? He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now, those were not just quaint words. Uh, that was the God of the universe forgiving them. And, and, and there's good reason to believe that some of these men are in the presence of the Lord today. Uh, the parallel account, Luke says, the centurion says he, it says he glorified God and says, surely this is a righteous man. And, and, and so if you're sitting here this morning and, and there's something uh, in your past which you feel is just uh, too gory to, to bring with you into the throne room of God, uh, something that's just too awful for you ever to be able to get an invitation uh, into the presence of God with Jesus, well, consider these men and what they had done. So even mocking and scourging and crucifying Jesus does not disqualify someone from going right through that open veil to be with Jesus. Just reading this morning in Hebrews chapter 10, it says says that once we're in Christ, God remembers our sin uh, no more. The question is, are we remembering it and remembering it and remembering it? We're wasting our time because he's not. And we can go right into the throne room. Verse 55, let's continue. It says, And many women who followed Jesus from Galilee, uh, ministering to him, uh, were there looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. So why uh, this reference here? Why the reference uh, to the women here? Well, the men were all gone. There were no men to describe. Uh, they had fleed for their lives. They were scattered around Jerusalem, hiding in closets and, and, and under beds and, uh, you know, in cellars or whatever. Uh, the women, uh, not the men, were the eyewitnesses uh, of the cross. Only the Apostle John was at the cross. The Apostle uh, John, uh, uh, you know, I was thinking, sort of like my son Sam, alone with women. You know, Sam's got these four uh, uh, sisters and, uh, uh, you know... Uh, So, Sam, you know, you have something you can empathize with, you know, those, uh, the Apostle John, uh, you know, people go up to my son Sam, by the way, and they say, you're going to make a great 
husband someday, you know? But let me tell you, that's little consolation to a 13-year-old boy. I, I, I know you're trying to be nice, but, I mean, here's a guy. Uh, I, I, I'm digressing now, but all day long, he has these four chatty women around him, just all day long, and they're instructing him about every conceivable thing, uh, whether he wants it or not. And, and you know the thing about women have, they got to do 10,000 words a day. Men, it's like 500. So by the end of the day, he's got four of these women. At the end of the day, he's like... Uh, you know, this is what he's like, and, and, I, I, and, and because they're, they're just bossing him around about everything. I remember, I'm sorry, you have to have uh, time for this story. This summer, Sam, uh, Sam was rollerblading, right? And it was the first time he had rollerbladed, and like, he had rollerbladed once before when he was like eight. And so he was rollerblading in the Cape, and, uh, and uh, all, he was doing real, real well. To the very, very end, he was going down a hill, and he just wiped out. Right? He's wiped out. And he's laying on the ground groaning. And he's got open wounds on his knees, on his stomach, and his hands. And then his little, his little six-year-old sister, you know, the one with a mop of curly hair, she comes right up to him right like this and says, Rule number 17, never rollerblade on hills. And, 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 and Sam goes, Rah. But she just, you know, runs away. Uh, uh, anyway. The Apostle John, Sam. I mean, you, you have a man you can empathize with. All the men were gone. Now, and, and, and so actually, uh, it's almost true that what we see, what we see, uh, a lot of what we read in the Gospels was taken from the accounts, the eyewitnesses' accounts of women. And, and so it, it says there, uh, again, in verse 55, and many women followed Jesus. You know, I don't have time to go into this subject. It's a sermon unto itself. But listen, Jesus Christ liberated women. Women, your Savior, Jesus, liberated you. Uh, if you don't believe that, look at cultures today in the Middle East that date themselves back to the first century and look how they are treated. Uh, at, time, at that time, women were just a piece of property. They were a Chattel, it's a sort of a legal term. Uh, They were um, just a piece of uh, property, and Jesus Christ elevated them to a place of respect and dignity. It says that many women followed him. Uh, Actually, also in the book of Luke, chapter 8, it says, you know, most of the time you hear uh, references to the 12 apostles, but in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now it came to pass afterward that he, Jesus, went through every city and village preaching and bringing the glad tidings of the kingdom of God. It says, And the 12 were with him, and certain women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities, Mary called Magdalene, out of whom had come seven demons, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod Stewart, and Susanna. And then it says, And many others who provided for him from their substance or from their possessions. And so he, he had many women uh, uh, around him, ministering to him, part of the ministry and, and, and the life of, of what you could say the church. And so uh, women were first at the cross. They were last at the cross. They were first at the tomb. And, and so what did we read in Galatians chapter 3? There is neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. And so, uh, uh, women, uh, Jesus, your Savior, liberated you. But let's uh, move on. Let's consider this. You know, these women had a problem now. They're witnessing Jesus. He just died. What are they going to do? Burials 
were very important to the Jewish people. Uh, in the Old Testament, you remember what the, the, the dangerous things and sort of crazy things that the Jews did in order to get a body uh, that had passed. If you uh, remember uh, Samson in the middle of all the uh, Philistines who were the enemies of Israel after he had died, some extremely brave men went right into uh, the city to rescue him. Same thing with the King Saul after he was uh, killed. And, and, and he was uh, uh, tortured so much, King Saul was, that they actually wound up cremating him. The only real instance you can see of that. Um, uh, and, but to get the body of Saul, they went through tremendous danger. So very important to a Jew. Burial had to happen within the same day. If you died in the morning, you were buried by night. But what are these women going to do? Remember, they're from Galilee, northern Israel. There wasn't any family tomb around. There was no family tomb around to get the body. But they had a worse problem. What was that? How were they ever going to get the body? It was Rome's, uh, basically, jurisdiction. They couldn't just go up there and get this body. Um, What was going to happen? They had no right to it. Pilate actually was the only one who had, uh, had, had the authority to, 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 to give uh, the body up. And who in the world was going to go to Pilate? I mean, can you imagine one of us? Well, I'm just going to go talk to Mitt Romney about, uh, uh, you know, getting the body. Well, that's what it was like. And so the fear that they must have had. And uh, not only that, uh, these were poor people. These were poor people, and uh, poor people really didn't even have tombs. There was a common grave. It was in the Kidron Valley. And, and so all these things running through their mind. And, and, and to me, it's just such a wonderful illustration. You know, when, when you have a mountain of obstacles in front of you, when you have a mountain in front of you that needs to be moved, and there's no possible way that you can think it's ever going to be uh, moved, you've got to leave it to the Lord. You've got to trust in your Savior. And, and so that is what we see happens next. Uh, what um, the last thing in the world these women thought would happen, happened. Verse 57, now when evening had come, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself also became a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be given to him. When Joseph had taken the body, he wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the door of the tomb and departed. And so, amazing turn of events. And they're just the way you see the, the Lord work here. And, and you know, the, it's also... Uh, uh, fulfillment of prophecy in Isaiah 53. It says that the Messiah would be assigned a grave uh, with the rich, and that's exactly what uh, happens here. The burial was provided for, and and that was so awesome. But you know, there's something else here I really want to point out to you because it's just wonderful, and that is this. In the book of John, we read that Joseph was a follower, a disciple of Jesus, but in secret. He followed Jesus secretly. And, and also in that last chapter, in that chapter 19 of John, we, we read about someone else, Nicodemus. Nicodemus coming uh, as well. Remember, it was Nicodemus who was the Pharisee who came to Jesus by night. He, too, was a disciple of Jesus uh, secretly. Hmm. 
you know, isn't it wonderful and aren't you glad? I know that I am. That the Lord's love extends to your fears and your insecurities. Here are these two men that had been secretly following Jesus. And yet, you know, the Lord's, it can't be said, said that, that they, weren't, they weren't his. They were his. And you know something? God, God's love extends to you in all, even with all your fear. And, you know, sometimes you, you, you hear real hyper-spiritual people, oh, you just got to get out, and you got to scream out to everyone. You know, there's a lot of truth to that, but guess what? You know, God loves you right where you are, even with all your fear. Now, he doesn't want to keep you that way. And, and I, I just have something I'd, I'd like to share with, with each of you this morning. If you are that person, you're sort of living with fear that others will know about your faith. You're living in fear. You don't want to identify with, with Jesus. God loves you, but do you really want that to be your legacy? Do you really want that to be what people remember you for? And, and, and you know, here you have two men who were doing the same thing you are doing. They were basically secretly following Jesus. You know, but when they went into the office and someone insulted Jesus or someone uh, mentioned, uh, uh, you know, something about Christ or where there was an offer, opportunity or whatever, oh, no, you know, sort of hit under their desks. Made of acacia wood or whatever it was made then. Are you that person? Well, here you see these two men who were living in hiding uh, and yet sort of what had happened on the cross just broke open their hearts and they just went right out into the open. They went right out to the open. Guess what? When they died, guess what they heard? Well done, good and faithful servant. Don't you want to hear that too? You know, Jesus said, he who the Son of Man sets free is free indeed. There is a liberty (laughs) once you just get off all those shackles of fear and just start living for the Lord. And believe me, you know, the battle never finishes. I've been, you know, walking with the Lord for almost 19 years. I still go into the cave from time to time. But when Jesus tore open that veil for you, when he tore open that veil for you. It was not only to go into his presence. I mean, part of going into the presence of God is just living for him out in the open freely. That, that is what get, that's part of the joy, brothers and sisters. That's part of the victory. That's part of what you find when you go through the veil. And, 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 and part of what you won't find if you wait outside, outside the palace. And so you have this wonderful thing. And you know what? Just another awesome thing about this whole thing. What does it say? It says it was a new tomb. A new tomb. Which was just an enormous amount of money, by the way. And Nicodemus, in John uh, chapter 19, it says what? He brought, what was it, 100 pounds or 75 pounds of, 
uh, of perfume, of ointment, just worth an extraordinary amount of money. When, when uh, the, the woman in Bethany anointed Jesus' feet with, with the same ointment, it said it was a year's wages. When the, and it was, it's thought that that was a pound. This was 75 or 100 pounds. And so here's these men. They're just giving it all up, you know. And, and in a sense, it's just so true. We, what, what does the world do out there? It just lives for its, the funeral. It lives for the day. You know, he who finishes with the most toys or the most money wins. And so, here, here they, and so that's what they had been doing. They'd be saving up all this stuff basically for their, their, their burial. And they realized, what have I been investing in? This is crazy. I'm going to give it to the Lord. What a freedom, what a liberty, what joy. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what they heard. They had been living in fear. God will have all the patience in the world for you if you're living in fear. But he's calling you out. He's calling you out. So, life on the other side of the the torn veil. It's an awesome life. It's a liberated life. There's joy and there's peace there. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just thank you, Lord. Thank you for this wonderful news. And, and it's called, your word calls it the good news. Uh, it's no wonder, Lord. We don't want to live outside, uh, outside of the palace, Lord, wondering what's inside. We don't want to live uh, in fear, wondering what will be the consequence if we take our baggage to you. Lord, we don't want to live... Uh, confused, wondering what it's like in there, Lord. We just want to, we want the grace, Lord God, to go right in, right into your presence, Lord, where you've invited us, God. Lord, I ask for every man and woman here, Lord, just for the grace to do that. God, if they've never done that before, that you would take them there right now, this minute, today, Lord. And Father God, just with everyone, Lord, we do need the grace to stay there, to stay there in your presence. And we go, we're, so, uh, we're so grateful, Lord, that you promise us the grace to stay there. We thank you for that, Lord. God, and we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. Well, God bless you. If anyone needs prayer, please come up. You are dismissed.